Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. Have you ever seen those candid camera shows? You know, where people are pranked in public on camera, but they don't know they're being filmed? Or the pranks where there's unsuspecting people who are scared by someone jumping out? You know, I remember seeing one of these where someone jumped out and scared couples, and usually both of them ran away. However, when they were at a dead end or backed into a corner, one person almost always stepped in front of the other to protect and defend them, no matter how frightened they both were. Now, there was also sometimes the rare exception when one of them would hide behind the other or even better, throw the other person toward the person scaring them to save themselves. And then when it was revealed to be a prank, it was always really embarrassing uh, situation to explain to the other person. Like, why did you throw me into danger? And that's because I think we know we're supposed to defend the people and the things that we love, the things that are precious to us. It's instinctual. Animals do it. It's why we love Captain America and superheroes, because they embody and resemble this instinct we have to stand up for truth, to defend against evil no matter how great or difficult and whatever the cost. That is why as Catholic disciples of Jesus Christ, we defend the faith and the church against attack and mockery, and we seek to clarify the teachings of the church when they are misrepresented or misunderstood. Now, this does not mean that we think that the church as an institution is perfect because 100% of the human beings involved in the church are sinners. So it's going to be messy. There will be mistakes. There will be things that end up being scandalous or immoral, illegal, hurtful. Those things can and should be criticized and corrected. However, we do believe that the teachings of the church are perfect because they come to us from the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church, it's been around for a very long time, and so naturally it has had its fair shakes of mistakes 
misinterpretations, scandals, and all those different things. But I will tell you that nearly all of the criticisms of the church that I personally have heard over the past 15 years that I've been doing ministry have actually just been misunderstandings of what the church actually teaches or actually did in a situation in history. People think or thought Catholics believed or said one thing, when in reality, it's something different. In fact, Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, who's on his way to possibly becoming a saint, that's why he's called Venerable, he once said this. He said, there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. If you're confirmed, then you are actually considered a soldier for Christ, a disciple who lives out their confirmation by spreading and defending the faith. If you're preparing for confirmation, that's what you're preparing to do, to defend the Catholic faith. So we talked last time about sharing the faith. That's called evangelization. Defending the faith, what we're concerned with in this episode, is called apologetics. Apologetics. Now, I know that word sounds like apologize, which is not what it means. It's not like when people criticize the church, we just say, yeah, sorry, apologizing. No, the word apologetics comes from the word apologia, which was an ancient Roman term for a legal defense given in a court of law, or it was a written defense for a person's position or argument. So in a sense, if someone puts the Catholic faith on trial, we step into the court to defend it. We don't lie, we communicate the truth, what really happened. We clarify and we defend the church with love. Now, just like evangelization, this can be a very intimidating thing to do. We can often mistakenly think that we need to know all the answers or be experts in theology and debate in order to be successful. But the same things, the same advice from our last episode on evangelization remain true when you start defending the faith. Firstly, the first defense of Catholicism is your story of why you're Catholic, especially when it's followed up by you living out loud your faith in your words and your actions. When those things spark further conversations or disagreements, then you ask a lot of questions. You seek to understand where the other person is coming from. Try to establish a common ground and always keep in mind the verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, which says this, Always be ready to give an explanation for anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence. So let's actually break that verse down. So first, it says to always be ready. And so I want to ask you, like, do you believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes a difference? I mean, I hope you do. Otherwise, I think you're kind of wasting time watching all your 30 episodes so far. But if you don't believe that it makes a difference, then what are you doing here? I hope that you do. And if you do, then you should always be ready. We should always be ready and willing to share why. We should be able and ready to jump at the opportunity to protect that truth from those who believe a distorted version of it. Now, there are also those who have been deeply hurt in the name of God, Catholicism, the church. And when we are not afraid to enter into those conversations and listen to them, God can use us to hear their pain and bring his healing to restore them. So again, we don't, have, we don't only have the easy conversations. We don't shy away from the conversations because we may not know the answers or because they're difficult. We are always ready. Secondly, from that first Peter verse, it says, 
always be ready to give an explanation. Recognize this as an explanation, not a debate or an argument. You know, if someone just wants to yell, be angry, be heard, win a debate, then sometimes the best defense of Catholicism is to show respect and remain silent and listen. Let that person vent. Be a humble presence and witness who's willing to listen. But other times it will require words, an actual verbal explanation. And when it does, we must now remember the final words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, which say that we need to point to the virtues of hope, gentleness, and reverence. So I ask you, do you leave conversations about faith or conversations in general with other people, leaving behind a greater sense of hope than when you started? Do you leave people experiencing more peace and reverence for God after a conversation with you than they had before? If you can't have a conversation about religion or faith without getting angry, judgmental, condemning, sarcastic, or passive-aggressive, then don't have the conversation. Otherwise, you will likely do more harm than good. However, if you do find yourself in these conversations, let's say the next family gathering or when responding to a comment at school or in the workplace, where do you start? So as I said before, ask questions to determine what does this person really disagree with? What's the issue at stake here? Usually questions like, where did you hear that? What do you think Catholics believe about that? Or where is that in the Bible or the Catechism? Those questions can usually clear up a lot of misconceptions because people then have to justify why they're saying what they're saying. And often when it's a distortion, when it's not true or when it's a misconception, it won't hold water. There won't be any evidence for it. But if there is a deeper issue at play here or some kind of misunderstanding or a deeper conversation that needs to be addressed, we then ask questions to determine what kind of defense, what kind of apologetic to offer. There are three kinds or categories of apologetics, depending on what a person agrees or disagrees with. Now, these categories are natural apologetics, Christian apologetics, and Catholic apologetics. Each category answers a basic question. So natural apologetics answers the question of why believe in God? Christian apologetics answers the question, why believe in Jesus and the faith of Christianity? And Catholic apologetics says, why the Catholic Church and not any church or any Christian faith? And so let's break these down a little bit. So natural apologetics, it deals with the existence of God in general. Is he real? Is there a God? Why would a God allow this or that? So again, start with questions. If someone brings this up, ask a question or make a statement, something to the effect of, tell me about this God you don't believe in. Because a lot of times people don't believe that a certain type of God could exist. Or some people will say, well, I don't believe in God because there's suffering in the world. Well, there may be suffering in the world, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. You know, in your mind, it just might mean that God exists, but he's a jerk for letting suffering happen. And there's a whole better reason to understand that. But it doesn't follow from one assumption that God just doesn't exist. Or someone did something bad to me in the name of God. Well, that means that person did something wrong, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. So if you want to go back to episode two and episode one to brush up on those scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence, the existence of God based on what we know about science and what we share 
and our transcendental desires for love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty? That'd be a great idea because those are the types of questions and responses we need to be ready for and ready to have on hand when we're dealing with natural apologetics. But essentially, we want to communicate to them that the universe had a beginning. We know that scientifically. And if it had a beginning, it had to have a beginner. And a beginner who's powerful, intelligent, and beyond the understanding of science, because that's what we see evidence of in the world. So maybe someone doesn't believe in God. Well, maybe they believe in God, but they believe in any myriad of faith, or they're just maybe spiritual. They don't believe in religion. So then we move into the second category of Christian apologetics, which basically answers the question, why Jesus? Why believe that Jesus is God? So how do we know that Jesus is God? How do we know Christianity is true? We bring all these other religious traditions kind of into question when this happens. And so it can be kind of overwhelming because are you expected to know all these different things about all these different religions and belief systems in the world? No. However, you can know categorically where all these religions fall. So what I mean by that is there are three main categories that every single religion in the world falls into. No exceptions. And those categories are this. First, religions that believe that only, or belief systems that believe that only the physical world exists. Only physical things exist. The second category says that only spiritual things exist. Everything has a spiritual nature versus the first, which is everything only has a physical nature. And then the third category is the combination of both, that they both exist in some relationship, um, not contradicting each other, but both exist in simultaneously. So that may sound a little confusing. So let me explain each one of these briefly and how it helps us approach this argument where you can kind of narrow down this vast array of religions and recognize you can get someone very quickly to realize the truth of who Jesus is and Christianity. Uh, so this first category of physical religions or religions that believe that only the physical world exists. These are belief systems like atheism, scientism, naturalism, not really religions, but belief systems. They all basically say that only what's tangible exists, only the physical world, what we can see, observe, study, and experience. We actually know that that's not true because there are thousands of things science can't explain. Some of them it can't explain yet. Some of them they'll probably never be able to explain. Things like miraculous healings, supernatural encounters. And I wanna talk specifically about one of these, which is near-death experiences. In fact, there was a study on near-death experiences done by Dr. Melvin Morse that studied near-death experiences in people who were born blind. And so, you know, a near-death experience, scientifically speaking, and for the purposes of this study, was basically when someone has no heartbeat, 0% brain activity, no physical activity whatsoever, they are clinically dead, and then they come back to life and have some report of an experience, usually an out-of-body experience, while they were dead. Now, if the spiritual world doesn't exist, how is that even possible? Now, you may say, oh, they imagined it. Well, remember, in this study, these people were born blind. And the crazy thing about this study is that for all these people who were born blind in the near-death experiences they had, 70% of them who had been blind since birth reported that in their near-death experience, they could see for the first time. They left their body and they could see what was happening around them in the room or in the hospital or wherever they were. And when they came back to life, 
They were still physically blind, but they were able to accurately describe things that were happening around them or in the room, and even in other places in the building, all of which could be verified. One of them said, um, oh, I saw a shoe that's out on a ledge on this window in, on the third floor, and you couldn't see it from anywhere outside. And so a janitor actually got up, or maybe it was a scientist for the study, but somebody got up, went through a shaft, opened the window, and saw there as it was, a shoe there on the ledge. Nobody else would have known. A lot of other evidence in that study, but basically things like that, things that can't be proven scientifically or prove that there's something beyond science about our world, makes us know that the spiritual world exists. But in that second category now, that believes only the spiritual exists, um, we also have difficulty with that because this is a lot of like ancient mythologies, a lot of tribal and Eastern religions, uh, people who believe there are spiritual beings or gods and goddesses living inside everything around us. So we know, for instance, like the sun is not Apollo charging his chariot of fire through the sky, but we've been up there and we know the sun is actually a gigantic ball of hydrogen and helium 93 million miles from Earth that we spin around. So science has helped us understand that some of these spiritualizations of objects are actually explained another way. This does not mean that we dismiss or belittle or criticize either faith of the faith systems or belief systems in these categories, but we recognize that every belief system has some element of truth in it, that there are actually both spiritual and physical realities to our world. So that's the third category. As a result, that must be true. There is both the spiritual and physical, both the human and the divine. There are actually only, when you get down to that category, there are only three major world religions that fall in that category. And those are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Christianity came out of Judaism, and Islam is a 7th century religion based on visions of the Prophet Muhammad. So when we look at the oldest, when we take the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Jews who were the chosen people of God, and then a Jew, Jesus Christ, reporting to be the fulfillment of Judaism and Christianity, we see the person of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus is the only religious leader or founder in history to claim to be God himself. And he proved it by rising from the dead, as we recently discussed in episode 27 on the resurrection. In fact, C.S. Lewis argued that Jesus had to be either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. They were the only three things that were possible and made sense. But if Jesus were a liar, why did everything he say come true? Why did people follow him? Even very smart people. If Jesus were a lunatic, why did many people who were educated follow him and then take that message to their deaths? The only logical possibility with the evidence of the resurrection is that Jesus must be the Lord. He can't simply be a teacher because a teacher doesn't lie or claim to rise from the dead. And if they do rise from the dead, they're certainly more than a teacher. So if we accept the truth of history, the witness of the apostles, the evidence of scripture, we must acknowledge that Jesus is truly God, which means of the religions in that central category that have to be one of the ones that is true, that means Christianity is the fullness of the truth, the true faith. But within Christianity, there are a lot of different faith denominations, which brings us to our third and final category of apologetics, which is Catholic apologetics. Why the Catholic Church? We've talked a lot about this already, so I won't talk too much about it, but we know from history that Catholics were and still are the first Christians. The church that Jesus himself founded in Matthew 16 started with Peter, and he became the first pope. And we as Catholics have a line of 266 popes from him to Pope Francis. Nobody else has popes like that. The Catholic Church is the only church in existence that looks like the church in the Bible, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. 
They've devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, the communal life, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. That's us. The apostolic tradition that we have through the continuous teaching and ministry of validly ordained deacons, priests, and bishops, like we see in the Bible. The communal life focused on being the body of Christ and serving the poor. The breaking of the bread at Mass, which we still do. And the prayers, the sacramental life of the church. That's the Catholic Church. No other church works that way and was founded and established by Jesus Christ himself. And in fact, it says in Galatians chapter 1, But there are some who are disturbing you and wish to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let that one be accursed. That basically means we know that any other church or religion that came after Catholicism is simply a human institution, a distortion. We have evidence of that in the Bible itself. It's a church with a human founder that broke away from Catholicism or sprung up for other reasons. Jesus Christ founded one church, the Catholic Church, which is why we know it contains the fullness of truth. Other religions also have some truth to them, which is why we honor and respect them. We seek to build bridges where there is common ground. But I wholeheartedly believe that if someone continues seeking the truth openly and honestly their whole life, they will eventually arrive at the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. That is why we defend it. Because it comes from the one who defended us on the cross from sin, death, and evil, and who rose so we could carry on his mission to share the promise and hope of salvation with the whole world. A message of truth and salvation for all people. When we carry out that mission, we will face opposition. But if we ask questions, if we seek to understand and always share the truth with others in a spirit of hope, gentleness, and reverence, God will use us. He will use us to change hearts, to correct misunderstandings, to heal, and to help others know the beauty of a relationship with him. I know talking about religion in today's world can seem like a minefield, like one misstep and all of a sudden we might end up in an unbearable or embarrassing situation, or worse, getting canceled on Twitter. But when these fears well up, we have to ask ourselves that question, do I really believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes a difference? If the answer is yes, then it means everyone should know the beauty of a relationship with him. Everyone should be invited into that truth without the distortions that come from misconceptions or lies about Catholicism. The devil wants to destroy the church, the true church, the Catholic church. And what he hates most is that he knows he'll never be able to fully destroy it. Because Jesus promised us at the end of Matthew that he would be with us always. So next time you sense a heated conversation coming at a family gathering or at a social gathering, you hear that comment about the church and you wonder if you should speak up, stay calm, invite Jesus to be with you, and remember, always be ready to give an explanation for anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope but do it with gentleness and reverence. Soldiers of Christ, assemble.